Then the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be, a, they shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of the cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him to the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he has struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment until the death of him who is high priest at that time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, flee there so that he may not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. This is the word of the Lord to us. Well, if you're visiting here with us, um, let me just say, first of all, welcome. So glad that you would come share uh, in the ministry that the Lord has given to us this morning. And we've been going through a series of messages on um, the book of Joshua. We've been making our way through this wonderful book under the theme of Joshua More Than Conquerors. And we've been seeing how the Lord has led his people under the leadership of Joshua, into the promised land. And as they have gone into the promised land, they have been conquering this land. And now as we come to um, chapter 20 in, in Joshua, we come to the point where now the, the land is all but conquered. And so we, we saw last week, we saw Caleb, as in his, in, in his old age, um, stepped forward and, and claimed for him, himself and for the tribe of Judah, his tribe, that land and that promise that was made to him by God through Moses. And now, and we see here, we see in chapter 15 that um, Judah was given his share of the land. And then we see going forward in 16 and 17 and 18 and 19 how the land is being given and shared out. Ephraim gets his portion. Benjamin gets his share. Then Simeon and, and Zebulun and, and Asher and Naphtali and Dan and all the tribes of Israel get their portion. And you come to chapter 19 and you see that even Joshua, because he was promised along with Caleb because of their faithfulness, 
he gets his portion of the land. All of the sons of Israel, all of the sons of Jacob, including Joshua and Caleb, have now received their portion of the land. All but one. And that is the portion of land that is to be given out to Levi. We come into chapter 20 this morning. And chapter 20 was the time to give Levi his portion, his inheritance in the promised land. Now remember, if you um, paid attention and stayed awake in Sunday school, and you might remember, if not, I will briefly share it with you again, that Levi was the priestly tribe. Okay, Levi was the priestly tribe of the tribes of Israel, of the sons of Jacob. God had designated Levi as the, as the tribe from, through which the priestly line would come. And therefore, being the priestly tribe, God designated that Levi... His portion would be different from the portions of the other tribes. For Levi would have his portion within the portions of the other tribes. Right? You look at Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verses 1 and 2. God says, in making provision for Levi and the priestly tribe, he says, remember that the Levitical priest, that is the whole tribe of Levi, will receive no allotment of land among the other tribes of Israel. Instead, the priest and Levi will eat from the special gifts given to the Lord, for that is their share. They will have no land of their own among the Israelites. Okay? The Lord himself is their special provision just as he promised them. So the idea here okay, is that <clears throat> instead of having their own land, that the Levites, the Levites would live amongst the rest of the tribes and the tribes by God's provision would be the instruments for providing for the priestly line. Instead of having their own land on which to live, the Levitical line would live in predetermined cities. And these cities would be within amongst the tribes and the nations and, and the, and the uh, allotted land given to the nation of Israel. And you see this doled out to them in chapter 21, where all these cities are named that they would have their residence in. But among all these cities, there were going to be six special cities. They would be Levitical cities, but they would be cities designated for a special purpose. There would be six Levitical cities that would be known as 
cities of refuge. Cities of refuge. Now, God had commanded Moses long before they got into the promised land officially. God had commanded Moses in Numbers 35 that when the land was received, that there would be these cities that would be set up in the land, and these cities would be set up and set apart. They would be sanctified, as, you, as it were, cities of refuge, cities of safety, cities of mercy. And they would particularly be set up for the man or the woman who unintentionally or without malice or without forethought killed another person. And so you see that in chapter 20 and verse 3, right? For this person would be called a manslayer, a manslayer who strikes another person without intent and unknowingly. Now, the idea is what we might call the understanding of an accidental manslaughter today. In Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 5, the example is given of what God is intending here. It is the idea that there are two men who go out into the woods to chop wood, and as they are in the process of chopping wood, the axe head flies off of one handle and strikes the other man, and the man dies. Or, Pastor Phil, you might be on a, guard, uh, a crowded golf course, <laughs> and somebody steps up and begins to practice their swing, and they step to the ball, and suddenly they hit the ball, and it goes way, way right, Brother Nate. Now, I don't know who would hit a ball, golf ball like that. I haven't seen anybody hit a golf ball like that, Phil. But it happens. And a golf ball is a dangerous instrument flying at that rate and has been known to hurt and even kill a person if struck. This is the idea. Accidental manslaughter. These cities, therefore, would be places that a person who had committed such an act could run to, could flee to. And these cities would be set up strategically throughout the land. There would be three of them. You read in the text there that there would be three in the east, that is east of the Jordan, and there would be three in the west, that is west of the Jordan. Not only would there be three on each side of the Jordan, but they would be located one in the north, one in the middle, and one in the south. So that these cities could be easily and readily accessed from any point in the nation. There was nobody in the nation who was going to be more than a day's journey from these cities. Because anybody who found themselves, as the Bible says, 
being pursued by this blood avenger. What is a blood avenger? Well, he's not part of the avengers. No, it's not Thor or Iron Man, not even a hawk. But in Numbers chapter 35 and verse 19 reminds us that this blood avenger was probably a, a member of the of the victim's family who had been appointed by the family in order to get vengeance upon the one who had committed this act. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The family determined who that person would, and that person would then hunt down the one who had committed this act. And if a person found themselves pursued by this blood avenger, then he could run to one of these cities, approach the gates of the cities, and plead his case with the elders of the city, and he would therefore find refuge. He could find safety until a proper time in which a trial could take place. Now, these cities seem like they are inconsequential. And they seem like they would be unimportant. After all, I mean, how many accidental deaths are we really talking about here? I mean, so it would seem like these things would really be unimportant. They would be inconsequential in the overall scheme, in the overall planning, in the overall life and living of the nation of Israel. But I want to suggest to you this morning that these cities are very important. They are very important because they reminded the children of Israel. And this is so important, beloved. They were an ever-present reminder to the children of Israel that yes, they have come into the land of Canaan because Jehovah, their God, is a God of judgment. He is a God of justice. But more importantly than being a God of justice and a God of judgment, he is a God of mercy. 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 I love how God does this. This is, this, is, this is wonderful, beloved. And this is why I tell you, when I shout it, and I don't know about anybody else, but here is the land being allotted. All the nations are given their inheritance, and Joshua is given his. And they are going about doing the business of everyday life, and God interrupts them and says, while you are enjoying the inheritance and the blessings of this life, don't forget that I am a God of mercy, that there is kindness that surrounds all of your life, all of it, all of it. And while you are receiving the material blessings of God, don't forget the most important blessing of all. And that is the love and mercy and the goodness and kindness of God. 
So this is out of which all the other blessings in your life flow. Whatever blessings you have in this life, beloved, whatever material blessings you experience at any moment of time, they flow out of the fact that God is merciful. This is so, this is so good. You are in the land because of his mercy. You will remain in the land because of his mercy. God wants his people to know, beloved, that mercy colors all of your life. In fact, beloved, he colors our lives with mercy. He colors it. I was having a conversation with a young man, a young brother recently. I won't mention his name this morning, but he told me that he had never seen a black and white movie. <laughs> he had never watched a black and white movie, and I, I was just dumbfounded. I was like, are you serious? He's like, why would I watch a black and white movie? I said, you've never seen To Kill a Mockingbird. You've never seen a raisin in the sun. You've never seen On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando. You have never watched 12 Angry Men. Boy, this generation. That's right, rush out, rush out. Put it on your phone, rush out and binge them. He said, no, I've never seen black and white movie. I told him, I get it. I do. I get it. I'm not one of those who, you know, one of those old fogies who say, oh, the good old days. You know, because I understand those days weren't all that good. Don't let nobody fool you. Color changes things. I get it. I mean, when you're watching The Wizard of Oz, and Dorothy lands in Oz, and that movie goes from black and white to color, it changes everything. Love, that's what mercy does. It changes everything. Before your life was cold and drab and lived in the black and whiteness of your sin, and mercy came, and God added color. And he changed everything because mercy colorizes all of life. If all you did was live in the darkness of your sin and shame, and when mercy came, your eyes were open, and you saw things you had never seen before. The hymn writer had it right when he, when he said, heaven above is softer blue and earth around is sweeter green. For something lies in every, every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. Because when you receive the mercy of God, you receive Christ's eyes. 
you receive Christ-colored lenses through which you view the world. And if you are looking rightly, the mercies of God fill your life. Before, you couldn't see them. But when his mercy comes and your eyes are opened, every morning you get up and you realize, these mercies are new. I didn't see that one yesterday. They're all around you. They're all around you. Mercy reminds us that our lives are filled with the goodness of God all around. In Israel, as they entered and settled into that promised land, Israel would have six cities that reminded them on an ongoing basis of God's mercy. It reminded, him, reminded them of the willingness of God's mercy. It reminded them of the safety of God's mercy. And they would be reminding them all the time of the wideness of God's mercy. The willingness of God's mercy. Notice something about the text and how it begins, beloved, in chapter 20 and verse 1. Notice that it is the Lord our God who initiates the cities of mercy. Notice that. Notice that. Notice that it is the Lord who recognized the need. It is the Lord who anticipated the failures. And therefore, it is the Lord who supplies the mercy. Notice what it says. And the Lord said to Joshua, Now say to the people, appoint the cities of refuge of which I had already spoken to Moses. Mercy is always the prerogative of God. Always, always, always. You do understand that it was God who came to Adam. God, Adam didn't go running to God. It was God who came to Abraham. Abraham wasn't going running to God. It was God who came to Noah. It was God who came to Moses. And it is God who comes to Joshua. Why? Because the Bible reminds us, right, in Romans chapter 9 and verse 16, right? So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but it is, that's that old King James, by the way. <laughs> it is not him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but it's God who does what? Sheweth mercy. That's how I learned it. It's not him who willeth, brother Ant, nor him who runneth. But it's God who sheweth mercy. And he shows it. And you know how he shows it? He shows it willingly. Willingly. He's not merciful because someone makes him merciful. He's not merciful because somebody pins his arm behind his back. He did and ask them to construct, to, to construct these cities, beloved, because he is merciful. He didn't have to build these cities. But he did. It was God who was willing and desired to show his people mercy. It was his will, his heart. It's his desire. 
There's a lot of people talking about judgment and justice these days. I want to share biblical reality with you, okay? And that is that justice and judgment are God's necessary work. They are his necessary work. Mercy is his essential work. Do you understand what I'm saying? Justice and judgment are his necessary works. But mercy, mercy is his essential work. You know what 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says? Talks about God's great mercy, his abundant mercy. You know what Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 says? Says that he is rich in mercy. He has abundant mercy. He is rich in mercy. He doesn't have to build the cities. He doesn't have to forgive sin, whether it's intentional or unintentional. God doesn't have to forgive sin, whether you meant it or not. He doesn't have to forgive sin. But he does. And you know why? Because he is willingly merciful. This is what Tom Watson says. This is what Thomas Watson says. This is, this is, this is magnificent. He says, God is more inclinable to mercy than wrath. Mercy is his darling attribute, which he most delights in. I'm right-handed. I'm right-handed. So I write with my right hand. I swing a bat from the right side. I dribble and play basketball with my right hand, even though, Mo, I still got left-hand game. Don't, don't get it twisted. <laughs> but I'm right-handed. And therefore, whatever I am inclined to do, I am inclined to do it with my right hand. Well, beloved, I think you should understand the point that the Bible talks about when it talks about God's right hand. If God is right-handed, then mercy is his right hand. And judgment and justice is his left. And though he is able to use his left at any moment, he is more inclined to use his right hand because he is full of mercy. He is full of grace. A lot of people talking about judgment and justice. And that's okay. But we love to talk about judgment and justice until it's our turn. And then when it's our turn, we want to know about the mercy of God. We want to know about the patience of God. We want to know about the forgiveness of God. We want somebody coming to talk about the love of Christ. Why did Christ come into this world? Not because you asked him to. 
right? You do understand that. He didn't come in this world because you asked him to, but because you needed him to. Because Adam and Eve needed a place to run. Because David and Bathsheba needed a place to hide. He came into this world because 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 tells us that God is not willing that any of you should perish. But that all of you would come to know the grace and the mercy of God. He came into the world not to judge and condemn the world, but he came into the world to show the world the mercy, the mercy of God, the willing mercy of God. You see here then the willingness of his mercy. He commands Joshua as he had commanded Moses to build the city, but you also see the safety of his mercy, don't we? These cities, beloved, they were well built. I mean, they were well constructed. They were well maintained. They were strategically positioned so that they were readily accessible to all so that anyone being accused of being a manslayer might quickly, quickly find one of these places, quickly be able to quickly run and find the city of mercy in their time of need. In Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 3, giving us a little more about the instructions for these cities, God tells them that you are to determine the distances involved and divide them into three parts, the land the Lord your God is giving you as inheritance, so that a person who kills somebody might flee for refuge to one of these cities. In other words, God is saying, you shall measure the distances. That idea there is that you shall provide roads. Measure the distances. Make sure it is a distance that is easily able to be navigated. Make sure the roads are plain and clear. Some people even said that they had signs on the road that said, refuge, refuge. Make sure that anybody who needs to get to this city would be able to get there quickly and get there safely. When the manslayer had nowhere else to go, beloved, he could go easily and quickly to the city of mercy. And like the Bible tells you and I in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, because of Christ who is our great priest, he could go to these cities and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's the point. There's the point. I know it's what it says in verse 5, chapter 20. If the avenger then, the avenger of blood, comes in pursuit, the elders, the elders, once they are in that city, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive will be killed. I mean, because, because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice or forethought. 
And so the gates of these cities were to be maintained at all times. And not only were they to be maintained, but these gates were to be open at all times. They were never locked. And you know the other cities would shut the gates at night for fear that others would come in and take over. These gates were to always be open. Never shut. Now, now, beloved, if you come to East Point Church at any other hour, no, I'm telling you, you you can come here when an hour when people are here and those doors are locked. Because we've had issues. Okay? We had issues recently. Those doors are locked. They are not open, save on Sunday morning. These gates are always open. The gates of God's mercy are always open. It doesn't matter, beloved, if you call them in the midnight hour. If you're knocking on those gates in the witching hour, it doesn't matter if you're knocking on those gates at the noonday. You can knock on those gates at the end of the workday, and those gates are open. Whenever you come, the gates of his mercy are open. And not, are they, not only are they open, beloved, but when you get inside, You are safe. You are safe. You are safe. Safe, safe. Safe in his arms. I was getting dressed this morning. And as I was getting dressed, my wife, she listened to gospel music loud on Sunday morning. And most of the time, I'm really not even paying attention because I'm listening to a sermon or two myself. <laughs> this morning, I heard the Thompson community singing. And they were singing, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He makes me to lie down in the meadow's grass. Walks me beside the quiet stream. He restores my failing health. And he helps me to do what honors him the most. And that's why I'm safe. That's why I'm safe. That's why I'm safe in his arms. You can run to him at any moment. And find safety in that city. And like the city of refuge, you know what happens once you get in his arms? Once you are in his arms, no one or no thing is able to take you out. As the psalmist says in Psalm 32 and verse 10, mercy surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Surrounds you. Love it. it goes beyond the highest heights. It reaches to the lowest hell. And it surrounds you. And you are safe. You are safe. You are safe. You realize, you know, the passage in Lamentations, chapter 3, where, we, where the Bible says, 
His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And we like to, you know, we quote that oftentimes. We sing that, great is his faithfulness. Do you know what it says before that? It says, because of his mercies, you are not consumed. In other words, because of his mercies, you're safe. Because of his mercies, they have surrounded you. Because of his mercies, you are safe in his arms. Because of his steadfast love and kindness, he has surrounded you. And now you can see that his mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. But it's all started because he has not allowed the avenger to get you. And you're safe. And you're safe, and you're safe, beloved. You're safe. Sin can no longer condemn you. The world can no longer control you. And Satan cannot kill you. You are safe, safe in his arms. Why? Because he hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry and thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand. You are safe. You see that? I hope you see that, beloved. There's a willingness in God's mercy. There's a safety in his mercy. And lastly, and we got to wrap up here, right? There is a wideness in his mercy. This is wonderful. This is so wonderful. There is a greatness and immensity and openness, a wideness to the mercy of God that is without equal. His mercy knows no boundaries. His mercy knows no barriers. Notice what it says in verse 9. He finishes designating these cities. He says, these were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and the stranger, the sojourner among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could see it. The cities of refuge, which I like to call cities of mercy, they were open to all. They were open to all. The foreigner, the stranger, the sojourner, the alien, the undocumented, all, all, all are welcome to come to the city of refuge. All are welcome to come to his throne of mercy. The mercy of God does not discriminate, beloved. Notice how the text says, anyone, anyone. The old King James said, whosoever. Whosoever, whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will, let him take of the mercy of life. Whosoever will, let him receive the grace of forgiveness. Now listen, beloved, listen. You might expect the Israelites to be provided for, right? Because these were the people 
that God brought out of Egypt. These are the people to whom he had given his name. These are the people upon whom he has staked his reputation. These are the people that he had promised that he would not only take them, but he would bring them in. And so you would expect for them to receive the provision of God. But the greatness of God and the extent of his mercy is that his mercy knows no boundaries. His mercy knows no barriers. It extends to all, black or white, male or female, rich or poor, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. That's right, Gentile, even a Gentile. Which reminds me this morning, beloved, even to you this morning, East Point Church, even to you, his mercy is even for you. Now, you thought, you thought that while you were reading this account this morning, that you were the Israelites this morning. That's what you thought. But beloved, you are not. You don't come into verse 9. And in verse 9, God says, oh yeah, by the way, East Point Church, you can come too. You are welcome to receive this mercy as well. Don't get it twisted, beloved. You and I are the woman at the well. You and I are the Syrophoenician woman. You and I are the lepers outside the gate asking, Son of David, have mercy on us. You and I, the foreigners, the outcasts, the guilty, the unclean. That's not me saying, that's what the Bible says, beloved. In Ephesians in chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, read it. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers, foreigners, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once a far off, you who were once but sojourners and strangers and, and foreigners and undocumented in this land, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. Beloved, the Lord, the Lord has expanded those cities today. He has expanded those cities today. The gates of those cities are open as wide as they have ever been. And you know why? Because when Jesus was on the cross, he not only tore the veil that was in the temple, 
but he stretched wide those gates of mercy. And now whosoever will, let him come. Let him come. Wherever, wherever there is a cross proclaimed, there is Christ. And wherever Christ is proclaimed, there is a city of mercy. There is a city of refuge in which Jesus says, you come, you come, you come and flee to the city and find rest and find refuge, find safety and find mercy. The gates of the city are open this morning. The gates of the city are open. Anyone, anyone can come. Anyone can come. You can come this morning. Is there someone here, anyone, who needs to come? The gates of that city are open. The mercy of the Lord Jesus is here. He willingly saves you. You are safe when you come. And there is no one who need fear that they are not welcome. Any and all this morning come. For there is not only a bomb in Gilead this morning, beloved, but there is a city of refuge. There is a city of mercy. There is a safe and anyone, anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will find mercy and grace this morning. Is there anyone who needs a call? He is here. You come. You come. Let us pray this morning.